this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. So once a year, you go to the doctor, right? They take your blood pressure, maybe they prick your finger and they take a little blood and they give you a sense of your cholesterol level. Maybe if you go to one of those fancy healthcare facilities, they get you to run on a treadmill for a while, see how your heart's doing. You get a checkup. The same thing should be true of your business. When we look at your business through the Value Builder score, we're going to look at it through eight key drivers that acquirers care about. Whether you want to sell your business immediately or in 10, 20 years from now, these are the eight factors that business buyers care about. Knowing them now will help you maximize the value of your business going forward. Just go to valuebuilder.com and take the questionnaire. Okay, quick. If you had to guess, what is the triggering event that causes business owners to want to sell their company? There are two that override all others by a long margin. The first is that you get an unsolicited offer to buy your business. The second is a health scare. Something happens to you or someone you love that makes you reconsider. And that's exactly what happened to my next guest, Jim Remsick. Jim built a company called Adorable up to $1.8 million in revenue, 11 employees, when he found himself with a major health event. And it caused him to reevaluate everything, including why he was shouldering such a high level of stress in running his company. He chose to sell his company, as you'll hear in not a spectacular exit, but Jim tells the story in a high degree of humility, with a high degree of humility. So I I really wanted to share it with you so you could hear that not all exits are these wonderful, massive uh, returns on investment for the founders. Oftentimes, the founders are simply trying to get their health under control and their stress reduced in their life. And that's really the story of Jim Remsick. I will let him tell you the story in his own words. Here's Jim Remsick. Jim Remsick, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thanks so much. So you had a company called Adorable. I obviously love the name. Give me the backstory on the name Adorable. You guys were in software, so I'm not making the connection. Why Adorable? Uh, really, we wanted to set ourselves away from, uh, set ourselves apart from uh, our competition. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, red and black logos, a lot of, uh, you know, robots crashing into other robots and uh, <laughs> maybe public works sort of feels. And really, we thought that coming in with the sort of the coral pink branding and uh, we wanted to build software that people loved. We wanted to be adorable. Got it. Okay, excellent. And so you guys did custom software. Can you explain for someone who doesn't know what custom software companies do kind of in layman's terms, what does a custom software company do? Yeah. So for us, it meant that uh, occasionally we would have uh, entrepreneurs come to us and say, hey, I got an idea and I want to have it built. Um, We would also go to the uh, other extreme where we'd have enterprise companies come to us and say, hey, we see your skills. Um, We need more of that and we can't hire it fast enough. And so we would write software for them, either embedded in their teams or providing sort of soup to nuts uh, software development. Got it. So either you know an enterprise company looking for extra resources or an entrepreneur looking for an idea to come to fruition. Yep. Got it. Okay. That's helpful. And so how did you bill for your services? Was it sort of by the hour or by the project? Like, what's your model? 
uh, it's time materials and uh, it was by by the hour. You know, we've had many experiments over the over the years trying to bill more weekly and, and bill by value. Um, at the end of the day, uh, it's been my experience that customers always come down to, all right, that's great. What's it going to cost me per hour? Got it. And so uh, you built up this company. I understand you started in 2014. That's right. Beginning okay. of the year. Great. Great. And, and so how kind of big did you get the business before you decided it was time to sell it? Give me the trajectory of the revenue, if you will. Sure. So we started out in 2014 and, uh, you know, I want to say by 2016, we had gotten to everything was firing in all cylinders and, um, we hit about 3 million that year. And wow, that's incredibly the, fast. I, it, it comes from my experience. Like I've been a part of other consultancies and have helped build other consultancies uh, that led to other people being successful. And it's like, I want to do that for, for myself. And, and initially with my co-founder, he wound up, uh, I think this is an important part of the story. Uh, he wound up leaving in 2016. Mm-hmm. And so um, we had a, a gap and uh, where we had a bunch of people on the bench uh, for a software consultancy for us that's incredibly expensive and, and dangerous to the company. And he didn't really feel like he could sell business. And so we, um, he said that he, he wanted out basically January of 2016. So after just two years, I bought him out completely and, and continued to run the company. Um, we grew the company that year. Um, you know, probably this was me trying to, to prove that I don't need a partner. Uh, but we, almost doubled in size in 2016. And then um, in 2017 had to retract the majority of those, those numbers back down to where we were at the start of 2016. Um, and that was sort of the, the beginning of me being nervous, you know, uh, having to let go 52% of your staff is uh, a day that nobody wants um, a hardest day in my career. But um, you know, we, we got back down to, a really, really trusted core group of people that we knew that we could be successful with. Wow, so many, so many questions embedded in this. So let me just let me just start. So you started off two, uh, 2016 at roughly like a million five in revenue, yep. and and you wanted and you doubled uh, to two, to the end of 2016, beginning of 2017 to three million in revenue. Yep. Wow, that's a huge that's a huge jump. So so, so let's talk about your your co founder. So. Uh, this is someone you built, you started the business with. Um, t- tell me about the, the the genesis of your relationship. Like, how did you come to be founding uh, partners with with this uh, individual? Yeah, so a friend and former coworker, somebody who I had uh, worked with a number of years previously, really respected his work, um, and you know was the more technical half of of us. Uh, I think by far, at least in my mind. Um, I'm sort of the the community guy, and he's the the technical guy. Um, yeah. And why did he want out in 2016? So again, we had a, a gap uh, in early, uh, I think Q2 of, of 2015, where we went 45 days basically without any revenue, and it was frightening. We both have personal guarantees on the business, and he felt like he wasn't able to uh, to sell our business. Um, it's just, those weren't skills he felt like he had. Um, and so he didn't feel like he had the ability to survive, uh, or to, to help us survive through those scenarios. And, um, 
So it was, he was sort of reliant on me to do that. And he had another company that he had been working on before we started adorable. Um, and he, you know, he felt like he had more control over that and wanted to go work on that full time. Got it. And so when you say personal guarantees, did you guys have bank debt, like a line of credit that you'd personally guaranteed? Yeah, uh, exactly that. We had a line of credit of, uh, 150,000 that we had taken out. And, um, unfortunately we didn't have that when we had the gap. And so, uh, you know, it was, it was literally credit cards and whatnot that were keeping us afloat through those 45 days. Um, and then, you know, we had, uh, a major consumer brand uh, who said that they wanted to start with us. And um, they actually wanted to start two weeks before the end of our, our last big client. And we're like, this is a problem, but it's a good problem. Uh, and so we got into uh, talks with them. And as the other project just ramped it down, they're like, we just need this last signature and, and we'll be ready to go. And they said two more weeks, like actually that solves our problem. We're good. You know, uh, let's keep going and two more weeks and two more weeks. Oh man. <laughs> and two more weeks. So, uh, we didn't know that it was actually gonna go through and, you know, it was a, uh, it was a, a rough situation, but we eventually got to a point where they were able to sign that. And in fact, they fronted us, um, an entire month's worth of invoices, uh, because they realized that they had strung us along a little bit. Um, that's the only reason that we're still around today. Hmm. So how did you end up valuing the company when your co-founder wanted out? Uh, th- Go ahead. Yeah, th- thankfully we had done that work in advance. And so there was a an exact uh, formula that we were going to follow. Um, and then, you know, he had his other project that he wanted to to go back to. And what that meant for him is that he wasn't going to have a salary immediately because it, it wasn't ready to go. And so his desire was for more money sooner. And so we negotiated a, a I say we negotiated, he offered uh, to re- basically cut his, uh, what he was due um, significantly if he could guarantee to get paid out over the next year. So what was the formula you guys had agreed to? Uh, it was three times uh, profit. Got it. That we, yeah. Got it. And so you had this agreement, he wanted the cash quickly. And as part of that, I'm assuming that there was a payout schedule over time that, that you'd agreed to. Um, yes. So it. in, in my experience, uh, when I had left another, uh, agency, uh, that number, you know, it was a, uh, that number had stretched out to five years and he and I were, were acquainted at the time. And he's like, I don't want to wait five years to get paid. Um, specifically because he's going into the situation where he, he wasn't looking to have an immediate, uh, income. And so we agreed, you know, ultimately over the course of a year, but there was a lump sum when we, uh, when we closed on the sale and then at 365 days from then we paid out the, the other half of it. Wow. So this must have really stretched you personally, because not only is the business struggling at the time, but you're also having to pay out a lump sum to your co-founder. So we had recovered. Um, so it was a uh, second quarter of 2015 where we had that, that uh, dip. And so this is 2016, early 2016. So we had recovered for the most part. Um, and that's actually, you know, all, all said and done, 
my, my co-founder was wonderful. Um, and he wasn't trying to set us up for failure or anything. And we had the, we had the money and, you know, he knew roughly what we could afford. And so we agreed to, to do that. If you had a, a fellow entrepreneur who came to you and said, Jim, uh, you know, I'm thinking about doing a partnership agreement. Uh, I'm going to be 50-50 with this guy. We're going to start this business. Knowing what you know now, like what, what advice might you give that fellow entrepreneur who's just about to start a company with a partner? I feel like this is general uh, contract advice, but you're never going to be happier uh, than the moment that you're getting things started. And so agree, you're, you're going to be in uh, the most aligned at that time. So get everything down in writing, uh, spend the money on, on, uh, representation to make sure that both people understand what's going on. They agree to it. The last thing that you want is, you know, when things go South is to then be starting a fight. Uh, generally, you know, even though we were well aligned, if uh, uh, even though we are well aligned at the end, if we disagreed, that would have made that process all the more stressful. Um, uh, it feels like fairly basic advice, but um, make sure that you, when you agree, you get all those things down in writing. Is there a nitty gritty little gotcha sort of clause that that you would recommend people make sure they? Th- think about um you talked about for example the, the the payment duration like not only that you'd agreed to pay three times profit but but also like the duration with which you would have to wait to get that money any any of the niggly little details that would be helpful for folks um yeah i so one of the reasons why uh you stretch it out over time. And, th- and this is something that our, our attorney spoke with us. Um, you know, I think the agreement cost us $600. We sat down with the local attorney that, that we trusted that was recommended by our CPA. Uh, and it was $600. And we sat down and, you know, they walked us through all these things, making sure that we each understood that um, what we're agreeing to. And we were aligned at the time to say, you know what, we don't think we're ever going to split and one of us leave the business. Should that happen, you know, we're going to agree that uh, that would be a traumatic event and for the company. And so depending on how successful the company is, that could be a a significant amount of money that the other has to pay out. And so we did give ourselves five years early on. Um, And then at the time of split, we renegotiated that. But uh, as a, a single entrepreneur at that time, after uh, we're buying him out, I might not have been able to afford that luxury. Mm. Um, so have those things done up front as well. Give yours, you know, whether it's you or your partner, um, give them the opportunity to be successful because if uh, we had agreed to, you know, part ways and we're going to pay him uh, a lump sum in a year, but the company folds, that's not good for the, your former partner either. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to the trajectory of the story here. So you, after your partner leaves, you you really ramp up the revenue, uh, but then you had to pull back. What what was the cause of the need to pull back? Um, so hubris is, is that a good answer? <laughs> it's a word. Uh, you, you tell me, was it hubris? You wanted um, to prove that you could do this without your partner. Well, I I didn't. Maybe a better way to say it is that I didn't have the uh, the balancing. Uh, 
affect a life partner on me. And so I saw all these great people and we hired them and we did great work. Um, one of the things that wound up happening in that time though, is we're a relatively flat company and pretty much everybody reported to me. And, uh, that meant that the things that I was doing, uh, for management that worked at 11 people didn't scale to 23 people. That was the max, that was the, the height of your, your company, 23 full-time employees. That's correct. And, uh, and so the thing that that did, not only was I managing the people, I was responsible for our relationships and our sales. And so by focusing on the people who are immediately in front of me, it took my eye off the ball of sales further down the pipe. Mm. Gotcha. And so, so you, the top end of the funnel kind of dried up and you pulled back. What was the revenue when you, when you actually ultimately sold the company? Uh, we're at 1.8. So we come back down to basically uh, early 2016 levels. Got it. And, and about 11 employees. That's correct. Got it. So tell me a little bit about that. You mentioned it was the hardest day of your career having to let all those people go. How did you do it? Um, we had brought on a, a director uh, in 2016 to, to try and help uh, with some of that, that effort. And, you know, she was actually one of the people that we'd let go. And so awkward conversations. She's like, she she appreciated the situation and was extremely graceful and uh you know also wanted the success of of everybody who was going to be remaining and going to be left um but we came in that day and we do a a, a morning stand-up meeting where we just go around the room and, and talk about where we're at interesting things blockers etc and uh that morning we said we're going to do things different you all go over into this room over here. You all go into this room over here. And, uh, and we're, you know, I, I obviously took the room where I was, uh, letting everybody go. Um, and you know, it, it was rough. Uh, there were, there were 12 shocked people and, you know, left the, left the room. We had one person who was crying there in the room and do you want me to leave the lights on for you? No. Um, but it, it was the, it was the hardest day of my life, but it was also of my career, but it was also, you know, we did everything possible to, to make it as little impact as possible. Like it's going to be a huge impact, but you know, we gave everybody uh 30 days severance and worked with them to, to try and re rehome them to the degree that we could through our relationships and whatnot. Um, and so we had a number of people that it was their first professional job. And I don't know that they, they appreciated that it could have been a whole lot worse, but um, yeah. Got it. So I think this is helpful context for, for me to, to understand what triggered you to want to sell because you, you did stabilize the business, uh, got it back up to 1.8 million in revenue and 11 employees. What triggered you to want to sell it? Uh I did have a, a health scare. I had a, uh, you know, I, I had a bad headache while I was, uh, at a conference in Denver and I had been at altitude before and, and it didn't, uh, it didn't agree with me. Um, so I, I want to, uh, go in to try to get some altitude relief at a, uh, hydration bar. 
and they took my blood pressure and they said 239 over 139 is is too high um, <laughs> just a bit too high <laughs> yeah and so uh wow. when spent the the rest of the day at the hospital they ran a bunch of tests didn't really find anything came back home and you know got put on some blood pressure medication and uh, everything's fine now um but it, that was sort of a wake up call for me uh and we you know it took another uh month and a half before i i you know was down in austin and decided that um uh that something needed to change and so i had uh, a couple of phone calls i called out to three people who run similar shops and said you know let let's talk honestly about what it would look like to to merge forces. So something needed to change. Let me let me try to dig into that a little bit more. So you obviously have this health scare. Um, d- did you ever find out? Was it related to the altitude, or did you ever find out what the cause was? I did not find out what the cause was, and in fact, when I got back to uh, here to Madison, Wisconsin, um, you know, my first trip was to the to see my primary care physician. And my blood pressure was just as high here. So I don't think it was altitude related, but uh, that's what let let me let it go on as long as it did. What was, did you link the blood pressure to the stress you were carrying from your your company? Is that what caused you to want to sell it? Um, it certainly wasn't helping. Uh, I, I don't know that it was uh, the specific cause, but uh, you know, it's, it's a heavy weight to carry, you know, people's livelihoods on your shoulder uh, as the only salesperson and the, you know, the person bringing in business. It, it felt like it was all on my shoulders. And so you called these three firms that did something similar. What was their reaction? Um, this it sounds incredible, but all three of them have said, we've actually talked internally about what that would look like. So the, uh, the struggle on the outside was was more apparent than it was than I wanted to let on, I guess, you know, because they they each saw that, you know, we were struggling or at least I personally was struggling and thought, you know, there's going to come a day where where Jim wants to make a move. You know, we should we should talk about what that might look like. Hmm. So they all three had had considered acquiring Adorable. That's right. So where does it go next? Did how did did you hire an intermediary? Did you negotiate yourself? What what was the next step? Yeah, I think uh, just my nature. I am a I'm a relationship guy, and so uh, I had conversations with the you know the, sort of the the head people at all three companies, and um, you know really what I was looking for it was um, it wasn't as obvious to me in the moment, but. Uh, what I understand now was really, I was looking to replace my co-founder. Like what I needed was somebody who, who balanced me and, you know, kept me in check. Um, and, uh, I really wanted to keep my team together. Uh, they had been through thick and thin with me and, um, I, I love working with them all. So those were really my, uh, the things I was looking for were, um, a place where I had a comfortable landing spot for my, my entire team. and uh, somebody who brought the things that I don't bring, uh, which is a little bit more business strategy and, and whatnot. I can go out and I can get clients. We can do the work, 
Um, but it's the support of making sure that uh, we have longer term strategy. And so that's you were that's what your conversations were with these other three firms that you were. It sounds like you were willing to stay on, uh, but that you wanted that that kind of co- at least the co-founder relationship with someone that could help you with the infrastructure piece. Yeah, and uh, that's not what uh, what all three companies were necessarily offering. Um, what did they offer? But, um, it it was really well. It was really more of a conversation about what would life look like if we did join forces. Uh, and so there was one company that explicitly said, you know, we're not really looking for, uh, for a third owner. Um, and then the other, uh, it was sort of a, uh, Goldilocks and the three bears scenario, the three companies that I happened to reach out to all of whom I would have been happy to, to join, one was actually a little bit smaller than us. One was three times the size of adorable. And then the other was a little bit over 10 times the size of adorable. Um, and so it seemed, uh, I, I had a hard time grasping, uh, the success with the company that was smaller than us. Like we're going to completely remake their company. Um, I thought there would be a lot of inter- integration, uh, with the company that is three times our size, but, you know, clearly they've been on a growth trajectory and, and they could probably handle that. And, um, they didn't necessarily want an owner there. Uh, and then the, the company that was a little bit more than 10, 10 times the size of us. Um, you know, they, I wouldn't have ownership, but my responsibility would significantly drop. And I think that was really one of the the core things that, um, core decision points was, you know, if I go to a company smaller than us, I'm still going to be responsible for selling and doing all the things that I'm currently doing. Um, but I might have a little bit of, of help. So, um, so which, yeah. which was most appealing to you, the smaller, the three X, the 10 X? Uh, well, I can tell you which one I chose. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wound up going with the, the 10 X size company. Um, you know, the, the selling point was you can keep doing what you're doing, but you'll have support of our sales organization and, uh, and a C-suite basically. Got it. And so the, the, the company that was three times your size was, was essentially offering to maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but, but pay you out some cash, but also maybe roll your stock into their stock and make you a co-founder along with them. Is that what their offer was essentially? Um, there, there was some equity involved, but, uh, but typically, uh, but they specifically, uh, weren't looking for a, a third partner, Got it. um, which I would have been fine with, uh, one of, so in my past, I have been part owner of a company. And when I left there, I felt like I need more ownership in order to be happy and, at the end of Adorable, I realized I didn't need 100% ownership in order to be happy. Great, great. So you're you agreed to be acquired by the larger company. I mean, can you talk at all about? Um, I know we can't talk about the final price, but can you talk about sort of what you know? Was it a multiple of EBITDA? Um, you you'd originally agreed with your co-founder that three times EBITDA was a fair price. Was it around that number that you agreed to? Kind of structure. How did you guys structure it? 
Sure. Uh, no, I will say it was it was closer to one X EBITDA, um, and that wasn't the exact formula that we used, but it was a, a similar number. Um, and you know, there was uh, an amount of equity involved, primarily because I did have some uh, some debt on my line of credit, and so I could have gotten a larger uh, equity share if I was willing to go that route. Um, but I needed cash in order to make the transaction transaction happen. Um, and so we had, um, yeah, we, we were sort of constrained by that, um, by my debt. Got it. So you, 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 you needed to get most or some of your cash up to, to settle that debt, but you rolled in some equity. Now you have some equity in this larger company. That's right. Got it. And so what's the liquidity option on that larger company? When I say liquidity, I mean, do you have, um, like, how would you realize the economic benefits of that? Was it, is it only if they in turn decide to sell at some point in the future? Uh, so that my approach to equity typically has been to completely ignore it because generally you don't have uh, at least in the deals that I've seen, you don't have control over the liquidity. And so, yeah, technically it's there, but, uh, but I don't have access to it. My understanding is that uh, there is a, the option to, to sell my equity back to the company at uh, more frequent uh, events than simply a sale of the company. Um, and so approximately yearly is, is what I understand. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's helpful. Or you could continue to hold it um, and, and go that way. That's helpful. As you look back at the entire arc of, of Adorable, um, in particular, the, 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 the ultimate sale of it, what do you see as the big lesson for other entrepreneurs? I mean, if you could distill it down to one, one thing that you might have done differently or, or just one thing that, that occurs to you as, as being a, a really big lesson from the, the experience, what, what do you think that would be? Uh, I would say know your weaknesses and team up, partner with folks that that help you make you whole in those cases. And ideally, and in, in the yeah, in the ideal case, you would have somebody who has your uh, your strengths as their weaknesses. Um, and do you think you've now found that in 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 your new company? At at the size that we are, I know that those people exist within the company, and uh, you know, so now it's sort of internally partnering with folks. Um, you know, it's a it's an interesting uh, spot to be in because I feel like we're I'm still responsible for growing a company. Um, it, I don't have the immediate obligation of uh, of payroll, but it's still a very uh, very active and growing organization. And I'm able to, to participate in that without having the stress of uh, all the payrolls on, on my shoulders. And I was going to kind of end there because I feel like, you know, the stress that you went through and the Denver experience really was obviously a, a watershed moment for you. Do you feel now with the deal behind you less stressed? Do you, do you feel that way or... Or, or maybe you could describe the the weight you feel today. Yeah, I, I definitely feel a significant reduction in stress. And you know, I've I've talked with people over the last couple of months post acquisition, and uh, they've commented that they can see it on me. So um, 
I have to, uh, I have to admit that that is true, that I have much less stress. Um, you know, I, I have different challenges inside a, a large organization. Um, and that, uh, there's, there's similarities, but there's, there's a lot of, uh, uh, uniqueness to the, the challenges that are in front of me. And so, um, it's gotten me inspired or, or motivated again to, to, um, re-engage. It's fantastic. Well, Jim, I appreciate you sharing the story with us. Is there a place that people, if they wanted to reach out and say hi on, on, uh, on social media channels, is there a place to reach out to you or a website you want to direct people to? Uh, I would say, uh, Twitter. I've been, uh, on Twitter since 2006 at, uh, J Remsick Jr. It's my first initial last name, J-R. Uh, happy to talk to folks. DMs are open. Awesome. And, uh, Remsick is spelt R-E-M as in mother S-I-K. Is that correct? That's right. So J Remsick Jr. is your handle on Twitter. Jim. And LinkedIn and Facebook. So people can get a hold of me. That's awesome, Jim. I appreciate you spending the time. It's a great story. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad you're healthy. And uh, um, it's a great uh, story for our listeners to hear. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.